and welcome back to Close Reads here on the Close Reads Podcast Network. I'm David Kern, and joining me on the other lines are Angelina Stanford and Heidi White. And joining me here in studio is Graham Pittman. And we are here to discuss the final chapters of Wallace Stegner's novel, Crossing to Safety. But first, Heidi, Angelina, Graham, how's it going? It's so great. Going, it's going good. I'm having a good day. Good week. Mm-hmm. Angelina, We're alive. you We're survived alive. the hurricane. We did. Graham, it's going welcome fine. back. It's going I fine. did. I'm doing fine with <laughs> the hurricane. I mean, Are you? Yeah. There might be some slight drizzling headed up your way by now. No, so. no. The sun down the hatches. Patting down the hatches. So before we get into whatever this show amounts to, let me just say a quick word from our sponsor, New St. Andrews College, which is located at the center of Moscow, Idaho, in the historic Skadabo Block building on Friendship Square on Main Street where students are encouraged to live and to work as responsible members of a local community. Their mission through the liberal arts tradition is to graduate leaders to shape culture. This mission places their alumni as business executives, writers, teachers, movie producers, filmmakers, designers, pastors, entrepreneurs, and more. Hey, I kind of almost said that word right. They invite you to visit their college on September 21st and 22nd, which is this weekend, but you can also go there on October 26th and 27th. If you head over to nsa.edu slash visit for more information, you can learn about those college visits. Hold on a second. Their website is nsa.edu. Mm. <laughs> oh, one, you just, what? I, I don't, look, I'm a libertarian. I don't feel good about the NSA's involvement in any of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, Anyway, so yeah, check out um, New St. Andrews College at nsa.edu slash visit to look, get more information on those those uh, campus visits. And again, the ones that would be most applicable to you unless you want to go tomorrow is October 26th and 27th. And again, that's nsa.edu. Yeah, not .gov. Um, <laughs> not dot .spy. <laughs> NSA.spy. That yeah. is exactly that is exactly the official. We're, we're going to go with closereads.spy going forward, just so everyone knows. <laughs> NSA.spy.official.gov. Exactly, exactly. This is starting to sound like an Australian web address. NSA.nothing to see here. <laughs> <laughs> Move along. Okay, so that, that is the truest thing we've said on this show. <laughs> so we we are here to discuss the the uh, final chapters of Crossing to Safety. This is like our seventh episode on this book, I think. I've had some great discussions. Angelina's had a whole journey um, with this book. We're going to yeah, find no, out. Yeah, no, I'm feeling how, a lot of pressure with Graham being here. <laughs> I might just have to reread your text to me, Graham, where you promised me it was okay and this was a safe space. No. <laughs> well, well, so, <sighs> Graham, you said you had something you want to tell us, though. Yeah, okay. Oh, so, yes. before we get into the discussion where Angelina. <laughs> breaks your heart no what no angelina (laughs) pours concrete into uh batel lake and builds a walmart and walks away and shakes the dust off yeah that's me in a nutshell you're so anxious to get out of this place apparently i drained the lake and sold it to nestle it bottled as water (laughs) (laughs) yes i i have a story um and i've been saving this story i haven't told anybody what has ha- what happened to me? Does your wife know? Um, not specifically. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we had um hurricane come through Hurricane Florence, and just like every good prepper, um, I went out the day before uh, to try to get <laughs> to get my provisions. Um, so you got you got to picture me in my um 
let's call it a Camaro that I drive. Because <laughs> that is right? what you want to load your generator and other items into the right. backup, right? All right. Picture me in my little uh, beat up hatchback um, <laughs> that I'm driving into the into the regional um, grocery store that we have around here. <laughs> We're not going to buzz market. Not an anything. official sponsor, so they get yeah. no. Yeah. But I will mention a brand name in a moment. Oh no! <laughs> so I pull in, do a great parking job. Um, you know, pull in. Just picture me walking into the store. Um, clouds on the horizon, deep gray clouds coming in. So, you know, there's impending doom coming. And so when I walk, I've in, got my popcorn. Out. I walk into the grocery store. What do you think the first thing I see is? Wallace Stegner. <laughs> Boy, that would be a story. This is an unrelated story. Oh. <laughs> I stand for water. That's nope. what I thought. No, nope. okay. anyone else? There's no water. There's no water left at this point. I am I have procrastinated so long that this is what's left. And this is what Okay, I well, I'm only going to, I will make my guess based on my life experience in Louisiana where there will be displays marked hurricane supplies and it's alcohol. Oh, that's hilarious. Fair, fair. <laughs> Heidi, any guesses? Uh, Cheetos. Close. Okay. But all answers are wrong. Okay. It's Halloween candy. <laughs> lots so how much did you buy? of Halloween candy. Not enough because I haven't seen any yet. <laughs> there was one specific thing that I... Candy corn. That I found very interesting that they had. And made me chuckle to myself. The bit of honey. Bit of honey. So I'm laughing and I walk. If you throw that into the eye of a hurricane, it automatically disappears. So I laugh. Everything that goes into the eye of a hurricane disappears. (laughs) I laugh to myself, walk by, double back. Put the bit of honey in the cart. Because that's what your wife wants you to come home with when she sends you out for water and flashlights. No, they'll sustain you for a long time. No, they stay in the car. Um, <laughs> I feel like that this is charity approved, but continue. All right, I get juice, I get crackers, you know, whatever. There's no bread, there's no water. Get back in my Lamborghini. <laughs> juice and crackers. Uh-huh. You're serving communion now to you. your family at a hurricane. <laughs> All right, start driving home. Crack open the candy because I'm I'm an adult. And right. I can eat candy you whenever can eat candy. I want. Especially when you're the guy hiding it from your children. Two days ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go on. Pop in, pop in the bit of honey. Start chewing. And I think to myself, I might owe Tim an apology. <laughs> and before I can think the word apology, it cracks my molar. Oh, no. no. I was terrified. Like, Literally, that was my mom's thing. If we ate that candy, she's like, that's going to break a tooth. That's going to break a tooth. Mm, well, is it that your mom? mom was right. It's Sometimes not, it's, right. That candy, first off. <laughs> oh, and then I go to the dentist and give him $1,000. gives me a root canal. So, oh, no, I was going to say the most um, expensive candy you ever bought. I was you willing. Canal anyway, didn't you? No, that was on the other. No, we're not going to get into my mouth. <laughs> uh I was willing to give it a chance and it stabbed me in the mouth. Yeah, it did. 
You should have listened to Angelina's mom. I can't believe That's what right. I, I, there was. I I walked past it. I like I had the opportunity. It to was say the siren no, song. No. It, it it called you back, and then you crashed upon its. And rock. then I took the rest of the bag <laughs> and I threw it in the garbage. But you also just said you were about to say you owed him an apology because it tasted okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not garbage. Until it landed you in serious medical. I didn't care. have enough of it on my palate by the time my tooth jettisoned itself, <laughs> just exploded in my mouth. So now I have to. Um, so it it's just this saga. Do people even know what we're talking about? They do if they've listened to the I'm, archives yeah, of this, this show. Whose favorite candy ago. is the bit of honey? Last and year Graham about this time. Was not having it. We had no. on air. It was the great. Halloween candy podcast episode, yeah. yes, and, so and my Graham tooth was last... not having it. Yeah, and I so I got the root canal yesterday, and my tooth woke me up multiple times during the night, and I just could not stop thinking about that stupid wrapper with the B on it mm-hmm. every time I woke up. Anyway, so I but thought that was a pretty my... good story. I don't have a lot of so, good stories. So, but Graham, Graham, it's hard candy, right? Well, no, it's, it's like it's in the middle. To soften as you chew it, it's in the middle. It's like a now and later. I think it was. I think it was user error. It was user error. Nope. Oh no! I had perfect. I have perfect teeth. Every time I go to the dentist, he's just like, "Get out of here." He's like, "He's like, he pays me, and then I leave." Error for candy. Do you have a jawbreaker? You start. You don't start chewing it. Heidi, do you chew candy like with your front teeth, like a beaver? You put the candy in the back of your mouth where your teeth are strong. You suck on the candy unless it is soft. What? My mother also had a great fear <laughs> of jawbreakers now that we're talking so, about dangerous uh, candy. <laughs> so to be fair though, to be fair, <laughs> I actually when I was a, this is this is not actually following up on my to be fair part. I'll follow up on my to be fair part in a minute. When I was in middle school in Sunday school, we had like Bible memory things that like competitions and stuff. And I won them a lot. And our teacher gave us big, huge bit of honey things. Mm-hmm. So like lo- lots of honey, I guess. Um, Just like it says in the Bible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I don't know if she was like trying to do a like land of the promised land thing or something. You know, but- it's like Ezekiel. Uh-huh. Um, the scroll well, or maybe she like was just really old <laughs> or maybe she was old that, but uh, that verse as the land of milk and bit of honey <laughs> you want to you want to stay right away there. from that land but i will say hey Graham, can you turn that knob there slightly to the left uh, which one the first one the first one on which side the left the one that the says angelina <laughs> just that's... turn that one all the way <laughs> this one yeah to the left okay so how's that that's good so um so the, the, what I was going to say is I have had two root canals on the same tooth. Subsequently had to have that tooth removed with an implant put in. And I've gone through three crowns on the same tooth. Every single time that tooth demise was due to eating bread. What? So I, cr- like I, a no, I cracked the tooth while eating bread <laughs> in Peru, actually. And then I came back and I had it worked on and then I, cracked the crown eating bread at Panera. Is this like bread that somebody's put a nail file in to like break someone out? I mean, of it's possible. It? I suppose I can't prove that that okay. happened. But anyway, so your teeth can be unpredictable and also genetically predisposed to, to 
death. Which I don't have. <laughs> Bit of honey was the reason 100% that this happened to me. Yeah, I was not culpable. Is this why it's I, outlawed in Canada? So the question is, do we do a podcast where we just talk for 45 minutes about absolutely nothing and just put that up for people to listen to? Uh, maybe, maybe I we think do it's that. A, I think this is important. Today, we should probably eventually get over to crossing to safety because that's why the people are here and have skipped ahead ten minutes. But Graham clearly did not cross to safety. This is this mm-hmm. is a total tie-in. Well, that was a good attempt, anyway. So, um, <laughs> can you make a segue into the book about teeth somehow? I feel like Charity would never have let you come back alive from a hurricane prep expedition with candy, juice, and crackers. You <laughs> wouldn't have gone home to Charity. You'd have just circled the, driven right into the hurricane. So, okay. <laughs> and yet we survived. So something, you know. Because the hurricane didn't hit the, you, well, <laughs> There are a few things that we need to talk about. We need to talk about the title and the relation to these final chapters. Um. And how that you know how that plays into each kind of individual person with each of the four people in the story. We got a lot of questions, or there's at least been a lot of conversation about the conflict that caused the Langs and what are the other what are their last names? Morgans, Morgan. Morgans to um, to not see each other for so long. There were some questions about that, and. There are a number of other things we need to talk about. Let's talk about that conflict thing first. <clears throat> and I'm just going to, you know, a lot of people are saying, so what is the thing that drove them apart? And people were throwing out theories and stuff like that. I want to hear what you guys think if there was something specific. I'd, I'm not sure that there is something specific. I, I didn't think, think that there was. I thought it was just life, you know? They, I think it's life. And I, for her illness, right? I and, think, well, yeah. and I think that also charity and Sid would be people that would be challenging to both keep in touch with and to be around all the time. And so sometimes you just grow apart. I didn't, I didn't take it as there was some large dramatic moment that caused no, them all I didn't to split. Either. Okay. I don't think he gives us that anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. I think the story that he's telling um, gives us vignettes, sometimes large vignettes of their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he gave us the important parts. Um, but I, I also think this would, by necessity, they moved. Um, and so there's been a strain with distance and things. But um, it, would be easy, it would be easy to read in that they moved because it was just too much. And I think Larry says that at one point. Um, not, not that they moved because it was too much. But um, I'm sorry. When I'm, what I'm saying is that being around charities um, control was just too much. Um, but I, I think there's a passage where he references something like that um, in this, in this part. Are you guys, do you, do you guys remember that? I, I don't know. Okay. I, I was under the impression I don't think that I'm making they that moved up. for her. Well you, well, you know, the book clearly way better than, than I do. I've only read it the one time, but uh, so I thought they moved to New Mexico for her health and they did. And yeah. it would just yeah, yeah. be, I mean, gosh, it would be hard to keep up that kind of a distance relationship now when travel's so easy and Skype and, and everything they didn't else. They have but Facebook. They, yeah, I mean, so it would have been difficult and expensive, and you know, Sally would be difficult to to travel just on the basis of her her illness. Mm-hmm. So I, I took it. 
I just but took I, it I as also, that. I don't get the but impression. You might be right. <clears throat> I don't get the impression that they've been, they moved to New Mexico 30 years ago and never saw each other. Oh, no. Either. I just feel it just gives us the impression like they, they didn't grow up. Their kids didn't grow up, you know, with that same idyllic vision that they initially had. Mm -hmm. But it seems like by the time they get back there, it's not like this reunion that's been decades in the making. They've oh, still no. maintained a friendship. Right. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. I think that uh, there, I do remember what Graham is saying. I've been looking for it, but I can't find the passage, but there is some reference to um, a sense of relief in moving a sense of freedom in building their own life away from Sid and charity. Uh, and then there's that significant little interchange when Sally says eight years ago, we parted as if we were not even friends. And there, that could mean either that there was some kind of kind of subliminal conflict or just that Sally and Larry were, you know, thankful for the respite and the space mm -hmm. from them. And then just kind of didn't keep in touch as much. Well, There's also a reference to charity being disappointed in them for not kind of working and trying hard enough to keep their families and their kids together. Right. And you can imagine what charity's disappointment look right. like and right. how that could create that. Um, yeah. Right. And, and they, they reference um, moving for Sally's health and you can also um, infer like not just her physical health, right? Like not just being charities kind of support system all the time. Right. Yeah. So there did seem to be a strain, but maybe not a break in their relationship over the last several years, but we don't know what it is necessarily, but it's been eight years since they've seen each other. Yeah. I think one of the things that, um, that this, he doesn't really trade in like, Stegner that is doesn't really trade in like these big dramatic moments of conflict like all the ones that seem like they're about to happen kind of stalling out right stall out like even the scene in the like closest we get is the scene where Larry goes into the kitchen even though Charity doesn't want doesn't want him to well it I seems think like they're going to come to blows so to speak but then she just leaves so no I think in the, I mean in this passage I think we get a culmination um in conflict with with Sid and Charity. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. Yeah. But I like think that's, that's like, like a quiet con. I mean, it's right. You're you're right. These are these are small moments. Mm -hmm. Um. Hey, let, I, we got to hear from Angelina before we dive too much into the rest of this. So, as I oh, said I earlier, know. do we? <laughs> we don't oh, have to. I, I don't think we do. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Angelina, you said in the last time you were you were reading it, you were starting to see some things coming together that he was doing. Yeah. That was what you said in the last episode. I did. Yeah. So how did the third part strike you? Is it too abrupt? Um, I, 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 I never got the moment I was hoping for. Uh, and one of the things that, and I've spent, so I, I read, I guess, three or four days ago, and I've spent the time since then trying to figure out why this was my response. Because as I said before, I, I'm not like against the book. In fact, if anything, I feel disappointed that, I'm, I'm not feeling what everybody else is feeling, you know? I'm like at the birthday party mm. and I'm like, no cake for me, please. You know, no, and I'm just... You, it's not everybody. 
It's not what everybody else is feeling. I think it's there's there's some polarization here that makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. Right. Well, and even on so, the Facebook group, you'll see a lot of people say, I liked it. That was interesting. Wouldn't say it's my top 10, though. Right. That's so, so the thing valid. that was curious to me is how many people said that they cried through the ending. And uh, I did not. And what's curious about that if our listeners may have figured this out about me already, I'm a crier. I cry about everything. It's not an understatement to say I cry five or six times a week. I will cry over a text message, a Facebook post. I can't watch the news because I will cry at all the suffering in the world. I'm so easily moved to tears, both for sadness and joy that it's ridiculous. Is, do you think, and I, so I'm mm-hmm. like, why am I not crying at this scene? Why? Do, and again, I guess it just conscious well, about you feeling that you're supposed to. Yeah, maybe you've been primed too much. I don't know. You know expectation, but also, I mean, possibly. By the, by I didn't end, feel the emotional connection. I'm sure that's part of it, and I, I can't figure out why. But there you have it. I didn't hate it, but I was disappointed that I didn't feel the thing that everybody was feeling, or that at least that some people were feeling. All right, I'm going to tell you that that's valid. And then for the rest of the show, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna be very mean to you. <laughs> oh, no, I'm so glad you're on this episode because, because I'm she just established being... she's a crier. <laughs> no, but I, yeah, and I will cry. I'll, I'll mute my mic as I sob through this episode because I'm not a quiet sobber. But uh, <laughs> but I'm so glad you're here because one of the things that I was thinking about the last couple of weeks is how much I wanted to sit with you and have you tell me why you loved this book like just open mm-hmm. it up to me why what is the connection you feel and it could very well just be one of those things where this isn't the sort of story i would connect to but i still want to understand it like i want to see yeah. the book through the eyes of someone who's just in love with it i, I want to see that well one of the things i want to have graham do that and then i'd like to give heidi a chance to talk because heidi told me you know that she really likes this book she read the end of it like what three times right yes that's right so let's i mean i think that this is a a valid way to talk about it as we talk about the ending of a book and then we can swing back around to some like more craftsmanship things and we're going to have a lot of time to talk about specific things as well in the q a episode next week so graham tell tell angelina and the rest of us oh dear by proxy why this book is so moving to you like why do you go back to you've read it four times or whatever this is this is number five i figured it out um Oh gosh. So okay, let me let's go back up. The first time you read it, what did you what was your response? Yeah, I'm just I'm trying to decide how vulnerable I want to be to Aww, a bunch of this people. might make I, had, I was the whole time y'all were setting this up, I was like, Graham's description of him loving this book is gonna make me cry, and the book <laughs> itself won't make me cry. This is what I predict. Should Heidi go first? Well, I'm gonna subvert expectation then. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Heidi, go ahead. <laughs> Tell us why Graham loves this book, Heidi. Oh, oh, did you want me to read this first, by the way? Huh? Do you, which of us read this book first? You did. Okay. <clears throat> How old were y'all when y'all read it the first I time? I was 23, two, one. Two. I was a year younger. I'm a year younger than him. So I think 22. Whatever, do the math. <laughs> so early 20s. I, I had just gotten my first Ferrari. I remember now. <laughs> <laughs> so that theme of ambition connected deeply. right he had to sell it the next week because he was broke but um <laughs> to buy a camera <laughs> uh, yeah how do you go ahead um well i actually do have a theory on why graham loves this book and angelina doesn't like it but should i say that or should i say my own reaction to it what's the question before me <laughs> I, I want like- i want you to do my heavy lifting 
I feel like Excuse I me. cannot be the one who gives you permission to explain on the podcast what Angelina and, and Graham are feeling. So go with your own feelings. I'll go with my own. Well, I don't, I, I wouldn't presume to say what they're feeling, but I do have a theory on why one responded positively to this particular story. Um, I, I'd be interested in seeing that, but I'm not afraid to be vulnerable. Graham might give Graham a buzzer if she starts talking about him and he could just. <laughs> I think you can just do that. Uh, well, I'll say my own. I'll say my own for now. Okay. Um, so I, I, I loved the ending of this book. I thought it was absolutely perfect. Uh, I did have an emotional response to it, but I, I wouldn't say that my emotion, I didn't sob through the whole thing. Like I, I read it with a personal response and also just an appreciation for the artistic merit of it, which that is moving to me. So I'm not saying I'm disconnected from that. Does that make sense? So, but I love, I love ambiguity in stories. I love that. I love a story that ends so that different people can interpret it differently, but it still feels like an inevitable end. Like this was the way it had to end. And that is what I, that is what I, loved about the ending of this book. I thought this was the perfect ending to this story. Uh, it, it brings to, I don't want to say resolution, but stasis, uh, perhaps stasis, but I, I think redemption, I think there is a moment in which all of these characters do cross to safety, but there's still an ambiguity to it uh, an openness to our own human response to each character. Um, and I, I like that. I think that makes for a good conversation and just a satisfying ending to me. Um, yeah. And so, one, yeah. One of the things I think that's true of, is of, of many stories like that, um, is that he, he doesn't really tell us what to feel. Right. right. So that ambiguity sort of lends itself to, you know, such a wide variety of responses. Are you talking about the ending or the whole, the whole book? Well, when you say he doesn't tell well, us. Well, the ending is a microcosm to the whole, I mean, it is the resolution to it, but it, it also, it's also still just yet another microcosm for the whole mm-hmm. relationship. Right. So probably the answer to that would be both. I would say, I don't want to speak for David, but. Well, what I was going to say is that kind of when, when a story has that like just kind of trades and ambiguity, which I think this book does for uh-huh. a large part of it, um, if not all of it, it doesn't lend itself to an easy, you know, sort of universal response. And it and it causes us to be very, I think, hyper-focused, hyper-aware of our own sort of instinctive responses as opposed to our intellectual responses. Right. Um, and then it, so your, your instinctive response happens first because of the ambiguity, because you're like, wait, what's going on here? So mm-hmm. then there's an instinctive response and that's often emotional. And then that, you know, you start having to then either break down your own mental mm-hmm. response to it um, or you start breaking down like, you know, the craft of it. And so it takes you through this sort of journey of responses. Can you guys define what you mean exactly when you're saying that there's ambiguity? I'm, I'm not following that. I didn't think that there was anything ambiguous, but we might be using that differently. Do, do, are you specifically meaning ambiguous in him trying to control the response? Like he's leaving it open. I'm, I'm just not... Well, Heidi, to me, you, an ambiguous you, ending. I'm like, a, sometimes at the end of a book, like you don't know if someone's still alive or not. To right, me, right. This ending. I don't think that's what y'all are meaning. No, I don't mean in terms of the plot line. I, I really mean in terms of the characters, which this we've all agreed this whole book is about characters, right? So, 
is the state of each character's interior interior world at the end of the of this novel. So, and, and I can give you a concrete example of what okay. I mean by that. Okay. So the first time I read it, I read it basically with my own response, right? Like how I feel about marriage, how I feel about how a life should end, right? And I read the book and I formed a judgment based on that, on what just happened in that deathbed scene, particularly mm-hmm. between Charity and Sid. And then I got to the end and I felt something and I read it right away again saying, okay, what if I read this entire part three again, just from Charity's perspective, trying to see it just through her eyes? What am I going to see differently than the way I just read it based on what I know about her? And I read that second, the second time completely differently. I saw different things. I felt different things. Um, and then I did that same thing from Sid's perspective again. And that that's what I mean by amb- ambiguity is that the same thing happens each time, but the way that I responded to it through the perspective lens I'm choosing to see, I'm reading it very, very differently with a level of mercy and judgment different to each situation, which I, I think that that is what I loved about it. In doing that, did you find, um, so it, um, how to put this in what ways did you respond differently in those two readings? So one from the perspective of charity and one from the perspective of Sid, did you, um, did you, were you more, well, shall we say charitable? Uh-huh. Um, well, I guess you probably were more charitable to each of them, but did you find yourself, you know, as the, as the person outside the story, um, well, let me put it this way. Once you were finished mm-hmm. and you added all those readings together, how did you end up judging the characters? That's such a good question, Damon. And I, so like the sum think, of the parts of the right. reading. Well, and I think the reason why you're even stumbling through that question goes to the reason why I love this book and the ending of the book in, in particular, because that is such a mystery. That's such a mystery about being human. It's such a mystery about reading a well-crafted novel with characters that, you know, if you care about them, right? Which again, goes to the issue of, you know, that's too much work if you don't care about these people, right? You're just trying to get to the end of the book. But like that's, there is such a mystery in seeing life and the same situation through multiple perspectives. And um, so to answer your question, I think that what I left with was just drawing the conclusion of another reminder to be a merciful woman, right? To, to keep open to multiple perspectives on the same situation. And that, I don't want to say that that's a moral or a lesson, but it is a, like a sense of awe that I had at the end of this book. Okay, so when you're saying, because I'm still struggling to understand exactly what y'all are articulating. When you say ambiguity, then you mean it's ambiguous in knowing how you are supposed to judge the ending and the characters. And I use judge very loosely. Sure, I know what you mean by judge, yeah. I think think maybe we're just saying like he doesn't tie it up neatly with a little bow. Right. Um, He leaves it a bit open-ended. Um, I don't think it's ambiguous 
in what he's saying, but it's not neat. Okay. Um, no, I would agree with that not, too. I, di- I didn't think it was ambiguous either. I think like he, he, like he that, means that they all crossed to safety. Like I didn't think that was ambiguous. But like the stated catharsis, and this is so interesting because the whole book, he'll describe something and then kind of state what he means. Um, and in the ending... Right, he doesn't, it doesn't pay off. He doesn't pay off. In the ending, he doesn't do that. Um, right. So it's really interesting how it kind of flips a little bit there. Right. And another layer to what you just said, Graham, is that because it's a first person narrator, even the conclusions he draws are left open to the reader's interpretation, which is another level of ambiguity in the meaning that of or each reader's response to the meaning. Right. Well, I think, so when we're talking, we don't about, have to take his word for it. Right. Right. And I think so when we're talking about ambiguity, I think Sid's the the test case for what we mean, right? Right. Because at the end of it, we don't, we're not supposed to expect that. I mean, obviously we know who's living, who's dying, what's kind of happened. But the question, mm-hmm. I think the big question at the end of the book is, I, I think we have a general sense of where Larry and Sally are in terms of their inner life, in terms of their psychological and spiritual states and the state of their relationship and things like that. That final conversation between them is really lovely, right? Mm-hmm. but with Sid and, and we have a good idea of charity, but I think one of the big pieces, the big, the most ambiguous part of this book, I think is how we're supposed to interpret and understand Sid's state and uh, journey throughout yes. the book. Yes. So he comes mm-hmm. back, but what, what, what is his state? Like he doesn't come back and we don't get that conversation where, where Larry's able to say what we would want to say, like, are you all right? Do we, and then like they have that conversation because Sally's priming us for that, right? She's saying that that's why they have that long conversation. Just that's why Stegner puts that in there. He's saying, she's saying to him, take him for walks, you know, walk all night, do whatever you need to do, take care of him, have conversations mm-hmm. with him. And Larry's like, yeah, I don't think he's want to do that. And of yeah. course he doesn't want to do that, but, but we are primed as readers to have that conversation for Larry to be able to check on Sid and for Sid to be able to respond to it and to have a sense of where he is. And that's not given to us. And that's like anti-cathartic in a lot of ways. So there's some ambiguity there in terms of how we're supposed to interpret or, or understand Sid's journey throughout the whole book. I think Sid often, despite him being Larry's best friend, is kept at arm's length in a way because mm-hmm. so much of what we know about Sid is through the perspective of Charity sort of managing him and Larry yes. responding to that. And yes. so I think it, it, it's difficult to tell exactly what we're supposed to think about his, his arc. If that makes That's sense. really interesting. I did not expect there to be a final conversation between Larry and Sid. And I did mm-hmm. not. So maybe I'm completely wrong here. I did not read ambiguity into Sid's ending. I read it as he timed his re-entrance with the return of the family because now he is stepping into the role that Charity has left him. And that if the, if the kids, if the family had returned without Sid, that would have opened up all of the things that Charity was trying to avoid. And so he took whatever his moment was that he needed by himself, and then he comes back, and now he's the person that Charity wanted him to be for the family. So I, I mean, gosh, I didn't read it as ambiguous at all. I thought, I was like, oh, what? He's just going to do what she wants in the end? Okay. Huh. No, that's interesting. And so do you think then, Angelina, that Sid crossed to safety? I think he accepted the role that was left to him. So is that a yes or a no? I'm curious. I, I, I guess that's the ambiguity, right? 
Well, I mean, I guess I could say that he did cross to say, I mean, I, I wouldn't personally find that satisfying, but Sid argues earlier that he has needed charity, that he has mm -hmm. needed the direction, that she in the end does know. And, and I noted how many times in that last section, like for Larry saying, well, charity was right. I did need a flashlight. Charity's always right. Mm -hmm. So I read all of those things as connected, like everybody realizing, yes, in some ways she was insufferable and oppressive, but in the end, she really does know what everybody needs. Let's, can we frame this conversation through the text? So I'm mm -hmm. going to read something here at 326, right towards the end. Two paragraphs, one not very long. If we could have foreseen the future during those good days in Madison where all this began, we might not have had the nerve to venture into it. I find myself wondering whatever happened to the people, friends and otherwise, mm -hmm. with whom we started out. Whatever happened to poor Mr. Hagler, who had only his salary? Whatever happened to Marvin and Wanda Ehrlich and the Abbots and the Stones? How much would they understand from their own experience of what has happened to us? I hope they have done more than survive. I hope they have found ways to impose some sort of order on their chaos. I hope they have found enough pleasure along the way so that they don't want it ended as Sid may right now be trying to persuade himself he does. So I love this, con like the question of how much would they understand from their own experience of what has happened to us? Um, that's a question that I think Larry and Stegner are asking of the reader, right? That, that's the question uh -huh. he's asking to everybody who's reading this book. How much will they understand mm -hmm. what has happened to us based on their own experiences? And then he says, I hope they have done more than survive. And I think in many ways because the reader, I think, for the, in this paragraph is sort of a proxy for all those people he's talking to. I think he's also saying, I hope we all, I hope you all have done more than survive as well. And so I think that's the question that we can, we can ask, like, has, is Sid going to do more than survive moving forward? Right. So Angelina, if you say that he's doing what she, what she says, what, what she planned for him, and you say that kind of like, oh, man, that's all that she's going to do, um, all he, he's going to do, you said it kind of sadly, like disappointedly, then it sounds like you're saying that he basically is just going to survive or. No, I think in terms of the narrative, we are supposed to understand that as a redemptive ending for Sid. And I think that's why I was disappointed because <laughs> it wouldn't be redemptive for me, but I, I, I thought, I mm -hmm. thought at the end of this book, I was supposed to understand all four characters of, as having come to some realization, right? Some kind of epiphany. So charity has her epiphany of, when she put, when she hurt Sid, she hurt herself, which that's pretty significant. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Sally, you know, comes to reckon with her own impending death. Larry comes to reckon with that himself and also what their relationship is and reckons with Sid, uh, basically reckons with what I said last week about Sally is a weight around his neck, but it's not oppressive. It's a ballast. It's a good thing. And, and he comes to, to say that. And so, but the, so the only one who's, we don't get inside his head is Sid, but I, mm -hmm. I thought the force of the narrative was that all four, so that all four reached that epiphany, so that whatever happened to him in the woods, whatever his moment was, he came to that realization of what needed to happen in his life, and now he's going to step into that. Yeah, off camera. Where do you guys think he went? At first, I thought he was going to end up at Shangri-La. That's what I've always assumed. Like, that's what... I think that when he's walking, when Larry's walking around, Stegner kind of I've always kind of felt like that's where Larry would go to look for him. Like I'm saying, why don't you go look for him there? That's what I was thinking too. Why um, don't you go look for him there? And I, so my, 
I think I think that's something Segner wants us to wonder about, and I think it's better that like mm-hmm. I think it's better that that scene didn't happen because for 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 Sid to go there himself, I'm not saying that he did that for sure, but I think that's a viable. I think that's an interesting idea. If he'd gone there himself, for us to be privy to that moment would be inappropriate. Well, yeah, we haven't been privy to any of Sid's interior life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would have been so weird at the end that we suddenly would have, you know, known what he's been thinking. It, it is interesting though that that Larry didn't give us one of those imaginative moments, like when he's uh, imagining um when Larry Sid and Charity were young, like he creates this scene that he wasn't privy to mm-hmm. that he only knew so, you know bits and pieces of like it's interesting that he didn't give us an imagination like where he's imagining that happening i wonder that why that would have been interesting is it because he can't imagine it or because maybe he's just getting he bored knows. <laughs> <laughs> he made his word count and he's dickens right sorry they, they capped me at this many words so i'm done <laughs> knowing his other books i don't believe that would be the case <laughs> no i'm so, larry not stegner <laughs> Oh, right. I, I had another question for y'all, and I interpreted these last two lines as connected together. The last on page 327. Mm-hmm. Sid, I say, yes, he says. So Larry seems, it seems clear in the text that Larry is avoiding and kind of just uh, letting out these little bursts of information that he is worried that Sid is going to commit suicide out there right so he comes back alive which i think is redemptive because without charity who is sid i think that's a lot of the question right if i don't have her do i have anything am i just a dilettante am i nothing like that so for larry to name him at the very last is i think a way of asking like do you know who you are are you you like are you sid and he says, yes, I think that's very redemptive. I think that's a response to being named. Oh, I do too, especially because this is the third time, right? The other two times, Larry says, Sid, no response. Sid, right. no response. That's all very symbolic. Right. Mm-hmm. So the yes. So, so I, I, again, maybe this goes to the ambiguity of meaning. Like I, I don't, I do not interpret this as him just accepting charity's plan for his life. Even if he does what she has asked, I think this is a naming. Well, okay, don't, but don't over, overread what I'm saying when I say he's ex- just accepted chair. I think that he has come to the epiphany that her direction is the right direction. And now he's stepping yeah. into that. Right. Well, and Larry seems to accept that earlier in the text. I, I think so too. Right. I, yes. I, so I read, the reason I read Sid that way is because of the things Larry is saying as mm, he's walking around. I agree. Yep. That's interesting. I don't know that I would say that he he looks at he sees Charity's vision for him as being like that. Oh, she's been right all these years, and that's like so. I'm good now. I think it's I think it's more like this is my. She's gone. She's kept everything together. This is my duty. Hmm. And I don't think that that means that he's being um like that. He's like that's a sad thing. I I think he's. Right. Saying, like I think it's a noble thing. I think there's something poetic about that that, that a poet like Sid would 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 uh, value. Um, I think it also gives him agency. It gives it empowers him in a way that he's never been empowered before. And it took her leaving. So for all these years, he, she has not empowered him. Um, but now her le- her leaving, her departure, 
empowers him in a way. That's the right. right. Well, and there's several, but, I agree, David, because there's several references in this part three of him, of, of Sid uh, thinking he's going to have a fight. And then what does it say? Like meeting a, um, falling against the door and finding that it's paper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Almost as if Sid is so used to identifying himself by his kind of silent, sullen resistance to, to these stronger personalities in his life that for him to own his duty instead of just resisting it and doing it anyway, like that's what adolescents do, right? It's fine. I guess I'll do my homework. Grownups just do their homework, right? If they have it. So that I think is really important for his self-actualization is to own his duty, not just be grumpy about it, but do it because charity told him. I agree with that too. And I don't necessarily see those two things as opposed, right? Right. Like I agree. Like uh, like his stepping into his duty and also reconciling the whole thing with charity. I don't, I don't see those as a, as opposed. I definitely agree that it's not a uh, resentful duty at this point, at the end of the book. I don't think he's resentful about it. Mm Mm-hmm. At least, I mean, uh, at least we're not indicated. Graham's sitting here pensively. No, my tooth is killing me. <laughs> do, you, do you have any? Do you? So, how do you? Well, I commented on the ending. Um, really, I like those thoughts a lot. I think that. Um, but no, um, I think that Sid. Um, so, in page two ninety seven of my book, I don't know if we have the same copy. Um, uh, he's being candid about how he thought um, Larry always saw his marriage as a kind of oh, slavery. Yeah, we do uh-huh. have the same pages. That's a good one. Yeah, oh, we do. Okay. Yeah. So where he says right at the bottom that he values mm-hmm. it. Yep. Um, so this isn't just something that's been imposed on him. This is something deep inside him that. Well, I, yes. Charity is not just happening to him. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Like they love each other. Yes. Um, there is. It, that's, this is why I think like it's so complicated because mm-hmm. it's so real. There's the good and the bad and the all of it. Like, what are you going to take from it? All of it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not. He's upset, and he's often in this last portion. You see it a little bit in other parts where it spills out because um, this is kind of coming to the head of the whole conflict, where he's saying you know, this is what's happening to me and this is what I feel um, in regards to how controlling she is about everything. But like they're, they're one and the same and we, we see that often. So it's not just, I don't see him just being passive and letting her overtake him. I think that they are, they're one and the same and that they love each other. And so Mm -hmm. there's a give and a take and it's not always that things are just, being forced on him and you see those moments like where uh where larry sees them together when no one's looking mm-hmm. right that gives us a real insight like their mm-hmm. character isn't always what we Absolutely. see in conflict um but as far as the ending ending um i think i, I think like heidi when the first time i read this i was probably i think i was 22 i did not cry through the whole thing um, like this whole last portion, but those last two lines, like somehow like mm-hmm. destroyed me. And I read it just like that, where she was calling him by his, or he was calling him by his name saying like, mm-hmm. is this you, are you here? 
and he says, you know, he gives that affirmative answer. Mm -hmm. Um, like he's the, you know, he's the mouse that fell into the pool. Mm -hmm. Um, he's, he's, but, but he survived. Um, and if you want to, um, it doesn't tie it up super neat. Um, at least I can see that for a lot of people, but for me, it does emotionally. Um, and as a story, um, and I understand why it, especially if, if like you read through this book and you're not connecting with the characters, then the ending will absolutely not work. I don't think, um, Hmm. Trying to think what else to say about that. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, do you guys have any other? I agree with about you that? about Sid and Charity's marriage. I never despised Charity mm-hmm. in this book. Um, but she can be pretty despicable at times. But um, I think that's kind of the point. And the book, um, and the book like, is pretty explicit about uh, that. That um, I mean, Sally says it, or Sally gives voice to it that that the right you forgive that you used to forgive people for the thing like that that they do it costs you something to do it right like right. It, it's a real i think and that this is one of the reasons i value this book so much um it's just it's a theme i'm i i love so what what theme is that like a deep a deep friendship where where he talks about how could people mm-hmm. read a book or write a book about lives so quiet as these right right um that's a real question or like who would read this book i mean um I thought one of the things, oh, go ahead. No, it's just a very unique, small story. But by the end of it, you like, but when I first finished reading this, I felt like I was changed and I did not know why. Wow. Um, And I couldn't give it voice. And I said to myself, self, no, I didn't do that. Um, But I, uh, (laughs) I, I thought, Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> I'm not going to analyze why that is. And so I didn't. Um, and all I could think is just like, I love these characters and I love the themes that that Stegner's delving into. And I love his writing. So like, it just all made sense. And when I say it's my favorite novel, it's not because I chose it to be that. Like, it just got its hooks into me. Like, I'm sure. just like tied to it. Um, uh, the end. i agree with you about sid and charity's marriage and and i thought one of the things that was happening in the book is the idea that you you can't really know what a marriage looks like from the inside and perhaps that's why i was more charitable to her than i might have otherwise been because there is that scene where larry sees them and they don't know they're being seen and he realizes wow this is not at all what i thought it was going to be Mm -hmm. well i like that you use the word scene there and i like the word i like that heidi pointed out that that Sid is Larry is seeing Sid and he's naming him and Sid is, seems to be mm-hmm. feeling seen because there is a constant recurring motif of eyes and seeing. Yes, and, and his yes. taking his glasses off. There's um, two ninety seven. The quick gl- the quick glint of his glasses was eloquent with a kind of helpless derision. The phrase "the quick glint of his glasses was mm. eloquent" is extraordinary. Uh-huh. Um, he says, polishing his, um, he took off his glasses and polished them carefully. He looked, hooked them back over his ears and looked at me through them. Polishing the lenses had nothing to change the expression of his eyes, he said. And then he says, that line about the slavery. Um, he, what Larry says that when he sees uh, Sally trying to get down the stairs, his eyes were burning. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it keeps coming up. There's the idea of... of well, and that whole scene that he watches it play through the window. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yep. Yeah. Um, 
and there was a couple other ones that I marked, but um, but then it even says, so at the end of the book, we get that same idea again, right? Um, well, he, the, the idea he's blurred, right? Mm-hmm. So as he's walking up, he's 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 blurred. So that goes back to the glasses thing, right? Yes. It's um, and now I see the figure, dusty gold in the moonlight, coming steadily up the road from the stable, and of course. The steadily is an interesting word choice there. It is blurred. Its shadow encumbers its feet, but it comes without pause, as if timing itself to meet the family coming down the hill. And I love the idea that, like, throughout this whole thing, he's playing with this idea of taking glasses on, taking glasses mm-hmm. off, and putting them on again. Um, the glasses being blurry, like he cleans them and they're still not clean, right? Mm-hmm. And then at the end, he's blurred, but because he comes on steadily, because he he comes out of the shadows into where Sid can Larry can see him and then he's no longer blurred anymore. The glasses mm-hmm. are clean. He's both seen and able to see. Um, and I think and so that's he, connected with the fact that charity thinks she's the only one who can see him and that she can see him better than he sees himself. Right. And, but, and also so like, there's that line about if we could have seen, foreseen the future, right? Mm-hmm. So it does this con- charity is trying to constantly foresee things yes but then even like when sally gets sick in the woods right like she didn't she wasn't able to foresee it well enough to have every contingency available to right her. what was that line that sid said she was mad at life because it betrayed her by not going according to plan mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so she's yeah. gonna make death behave right um i have another reason why i love this book so much but it ties into why or, or the different characters crossing to safety so i didn't know if no, go for want. it. No, let's get into like what you think about each character, maybe. I don't know. Like, do you think all their arcs are well are, are, so their conclusions are are well laid out? Graham and I both said weeks ago that our favorite character was Sally. Um not mine. You said that. I said Sid. Okay, well that's how us why your favorite character is Sid. Uh okay. Well, okay. <laughs> so um i was actually being a little coy uh well, do you remember i said like larry is can't be is the, that code for lying yeah a little is bit that what you're about to say uh, yeah kind of <laughs> you remember where i said like larry larry can't be can't be the the best character in the story mm-hmm. i don't believe that at all um i think he might be um but it, it depends on when i read it yeah, no, that's because, not coy, that's lying yep yeah <laughs> So when I uh, when I read this book <laughs> at different times, I, I, it just switches on me because I, I like all these characters a lot. Sid um, Sid is probably my favorite uh, because I connect I connect deeply with um, like my wife's not charity. <laughs> she's not stopping me from oh, goodness. My... No, she's no, not. <laughs> no. So I mean, it's it, we, let's not do this one to one correlation here. She's good right. at planning parties, though. Right. She's great at planning parties. Um, but like Sid is poetic. Sid is emotional. Um, so I connect with those things. Sid um, has unfulfilled. I'm not going to use the word ambition. Um, <laughs> unfulfilled desire um and I'm not, i mean that's not a direct correlation t- to me either but i feel that like that pull of like life happening and and needing to pivot into different things 
and how does that look? Um, I just, I don't know. I, fi- human, I so find the human like, aspects of him are things that you can identify with. Yeah. I feel a lot of like connection there and, and empathy toward what he's going through. You have a boss that's holding you back too. <laughs> oh, I've got several of those. <laughs> oh my word. David, give Graham tenure. <laughs> oh, I gave him tenure. That's, that's part of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> On day one. Just thinks he can do whatever he wants. Day now. one. <laughs> uh, but like, I think Sally is kind of the hero. I guess like she, her, her arc happens faster than everyone else's. Um, yes, that's true. And then, but I think charity is like the um, driving force of the whole story that he's telling. Um, but I think Larry is actually really important too. Um, but what are your, do you guys have thoughts on the characters? That's pretty open-ended question. I mean, okay. So, <laughs> So, I believe that there are four of them. Too many. There were. What I, we we talked about this on the first episode. Sorry, it's a callback. Do you do you guys feel differently about the characters than oh, Carter? Or do you think, or is that right. too hard I'll, to analyze? No, I'll feel this one. I know Angelina doesn't like to talk about favorites. Um, I really, my favorite from the beginning has been Larry. I I really like Larry. I'm I'm very drawn. I, I mean, I think everybody's drawn to first person narrators, but I, I really like to decide, I like unreliable narrators. And I think he's a little bit of one, not because he's not telling the truth, but because it's a memory story, which are my favorite kind of stories. Um, and I relate very much to the, um, the narrator who tells a memory from his own perspective and gets to repentance because of that. And I think that that is, I mean, that's what I love about Brideshead. That's what I love about Till We Have Faces, the book that I'm going to go ahead and say the name for in spite of the rules. Uh, that's what I love. I love this book for the same reason. I, I know. Um, I really love narrators who see themselves as narrating truly. And then by the end of the story, they realize, whoa, like I have to repent. There's so much here that I missed. And that, um, I I like the challenge of deciphering that as a reader. And I, I relate to that. I think that that's true of my own life. I have so often unreliably narrated my own life and to myself and to others. And that draws me to repentance and when you say and unreliably so, narrated you don't necessarily mean this is what's happened but more like this no, is what, what happened my interpret my interpretation about it my emotions about it, the judgments i draw from it the lack of mercy i show to people or situations those those the ways that i think i am seeing clearly to your point david about this motif in this story the ways i think that i'm seeing clearly but then it turns out that my vision was distorted the whole time but i was i meant it honestly right? Like I meant it well, and then I got it wrong. Hmm. Like that is so part of being human and of being a friend and of being a wife or a husband or a parent, you know, and you get, and that, so I like Larry for that. I think it's brave of anybody to narrate their own life or somebody else to read. (laughs) Um, and obviously this is a novel, this isn't a memoir, but I think that that is courageous. I like courageous people. So I like Larry. 
I like, um, I think that Sally and Larry's marriage is one of the most precious literary marriages I've ever seen. And I just find it very tender and moving. One of the things that's interesting about this novel we've talked about is the concept of like protagonist, antagonist. Mm -hmm. And we talked about it a little bit. Do you, who do you, do you come away from this novel reading it feeling like one particular character is the, is the protagonist? No, I didn't. Cause it's so, it's hard to use those kinds of terms when you have such a character driven piece. You know, it seems kind of like an exploration. I mean, I guess technically speaking, Charity is the protagonist because she's the one moves the action along. The antagonist then would be what life she could you could but you could also say that you know i've heard some people say that charity is the antagonist huh well it just depends how you define those things right if you if you're yeah graham do you i i I don't i have trouble with that with charity being the antagonist because i don't feel like she's the force that they're up against to overcome and that's the you know solution to the story um so i i i've i've got trouble with with protagonist and antagonist as well in this in this story. The one thing that I'll say about that is I think I have read criticism of this novel, not criticism as in like mm-hmm. say, I hate it, but like critical analysis of it. Um that it that talks about charity as the one who that there's a lot of um potential, so to speak. Um for happiness left unfulfilled because of charity's actions. And so because of that, you can read her as a sort of uh, antagonist. But my mom actually mentioned something to me that I want to give her credit for because she pointed out at the end, I think it's like on 326 or something, that line about um, that I read. Well, no, I, I can't remember if I read this one. Yeah, I did. She, I hope they have done more than survive, he says. Mm-hmm. I hope they found ways to impose some sort of order on their chaos. And that's a really interesting way he puts that because he says their chaos. He doesn't just say order uh-huh. of chaos. So that one pronoun is very, very specific. It um, is. And when I, are you, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, just, I, it's just the point. And he's talking about all those friends that he knew over time. The implication being that there is a sort of chaos that each of us are, are surrounded by that each of us have to live in mm-hmm. we have to find a way not just to survive but to thrive and to have some sort of happiness in it and so my mom right. said that she thinks that the antagonist of the story is chaos that, that's mm-hmm. good. no that's what i think too like that's what i meant by, by, by life but when right. i read that line i immediately thought that, that is the same language that stegner uses to describe both what larry does and charity does charity by her writing her lists and larry by writing his stories he specifically says that is how he found meaning and order oh, the impose, imposing the order yeah imposing yeah, yeah. the order right so those are the two characters who have imposed order um and so because he puts this at the end it almost seemed like a sort of validation of charity like we've been saying oh she keeps trying to control life but she can't right but then in the end it was like well we all have to try to do something and I think that's where Sally's comments that we have to be charitable 
You know, we have mm-hmm. to be willing to, we have to be charitable to charity because she's attempting to impose order for, so that not only will they survive, but so that there can be some, some sort of pleasure. She's, that's what she's seeking. She's trying to max, you know, like even the journey into the woods or the, the picnics and stuff when she's so rigid about things, she's trying to impose a sort of order that will allow everyone to have a pleasurable time. Right. She talks about that, how much she wants everyone to enjoy themselves all over and over and over again throughout the book. Mm-hmm. But I think that, but then in Sid's defense, I think that one of the things that in doing that, this is what makes it so complicated and why we have to be, you know, this is a book about charity, I believe, but it's a book about being charitable because in doing that, she in some ways diminishes Sid's ability to do Mm -hmm. the things that in his own heart and soul are going to help him impose some order within his, within his soul. So some of the things that, the things that he would do, you know, the poetry and things like that, the things that he wants to do that his soul is telling him to do to help him cultivate order to help him be able to function uh in a healthy way she diminishes his ability to do that and so Mm -hmm. we can we can we can make that assessment make that judgment and still offer charity to charity for that and then also offers charity to sid for the way he sometimes responds to her because it's a complicated dance that that, that, that's happening Mm -hmm. there Mm mm-hmm so it's yeah. a validation of charity, but it's also a validation of what Sid was going through, right? And the things that the longings that he had that were unfulfilled. It's a validation for both of them, and then a, you know a calling for charity to both of them as well. And, and maybe that's what y'all are getting at when you talk about ambiguity. Like I don't feel like the book's pronouncing charity bad or charity good. Like that wasn't the question right, that Stegner right. was exploring, right? That's why she's charity, just to understand that things are complicated good intentions can cause bad things to happen. I don't think any of us disagree that charity has really good intentions, but sometimes good intentions are oppressive and she crosses that line. I mean, I'm thinking about how, you know, the difference between Larry imposing, they're both doing it with words. She's making lists and he's writing stories. And so he's imposing meaning on the characters in the story, but she's imposing meaning on the lives of everyone she knows. This is how this story is going to go, she says. This is how my story is going to go. I'm going to die, and then you're going to do this, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do this, and the kids are going to move. I mean, that whole scene where Sid's telling Larry, oh, she expected this one to go back to his wife and this one to settle Mm -hmm. down and get, you know, she she wants to control all the characters in her story. And that kind of mother character we see a lot. I mean, that's, you know, an exaggerated form with Mrs. Bennett, right? Somebody who's trying to plot out the lives of all of their children. Yeah, maybe maybe he read Pride and Prejudice and thought maybe we should <laughs> give Mrs. Bennett more, offer her some charity. But we did that actually on on, on the podcast. We yeah, realized we that did. she didn't have much of a husband, and the, she was you know a lot of desperation there. But but so if that's what you guys are getting at with ambiguity, then yeah, I'm tracking with you. I understand what that what that means. Then I, I don't think Stegner is pronouncing a judgment other than be charitable. Things right. are not all, and, and and things can be so complicated. Yeah, and you never know what's going to happen. You can be out on one of the best adventures of your life in a Shangri-La, and next thing you know, you have polio. Right, and I did like the idea of Sid. Like, so initially, Larry takes offense when Sid's like, "Marriage is slavery. Mine, mine's a slavery, but I wouldn't choose it, and yours is a slavery too." And, and at first, Larry's offended by that, but then the more he thinks about it, the more mm-hmm. he realizes, no, that's. That's true. I like that idea. I like the idea of marriage being a what a, a voluntary enslavement in a way. Like you are you are literally bound binding yourself to another human being for mm-hmm. life. 
the good and the bad. The, he 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 offers kind of a, a transformation, kind of a turn though on that right towards the end because he says that, yeah, it's he's talking about the idea of slavery, but then he says that they're not chains, right? My chains are not chains mm-hmm. at all. That her cripple, Sally's crippling has been a rueful blessing. It has made her more than she was. It has let her give me more than she ever would have been able to give me healthy. Um, yes, agreed. So here's what I guess I need to define me. my terms because the Jesus uses... Jesus uses the slave imagery too, right? Bond servant of Christ. So it's a, it's a, what, a redemptive form of slavery where you're, you're bound to someone, but it's not what it's, it's a, it's a liberating binding. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just think, I mean, he even says, I will go on pitying him for what his addiction has failed to give him. So he's saying my, you know, our marriages are both built on addiction. It's true, but my chains are not chains. Like, because I think maybe what he's saying is, I don't know if it's a judgment of Sally versus charity or if it's a judgment of his own response to it. Like, did I get more out of this because I responded better? I don't know. And where I was, Sid, Sid wasn't, I don't, but I think well, that's really one of those tough paragraphs because I thought that was a little bit of what Heidi was talking about of unreliable narrator, you know, because you could read it as, you know, how dare he say I'm slave? I'm not a slave. He's a slave. Well, my marriage is better than his marriage. I'm not unhappy. He's unhappy. It's hard. It's hard to know the tone to read that in, right? Like that was that a real seeing? Is he really seeing it, or is this a lot of? I don't know. I thought it was right. kind of hard on Sid calling it a, his is an addiction. Mine is, you know, altruistic, self-sacrificing love of my wife. <laughs> It's right. not the same thing at all. Right. How dare you? <laughs> well, he says, Sid, he starts mm-hmm. the paragraph by saying, of all people I know, Sid understands that my marriage is built as sure, is as surely built on addiction and dependence as his is. So he's saying he's right. There's, a, there's an addiction of dependence there. But then he concludes the paragraph by wrapping up that thought by saying, mine has given me a certain sense of satisfaction that his has not given him. And that, that he pities him for that. He says that he got, he was given the alph- alphabet of gratitude. And thus the implication in the paragraph, the argument there is that Sid did, was not given the, the alphabet of gratitude. Hmm. Sid can, Sid's got a guilt, takes guilty satisfaction in, in the fact that, I mean, I, th- I think it's a bit critical of Sid. I mean, it's, it's it is critical. Yes. It is. It is. So the question is, 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 is Sid at the end still that Sid? Or as he said, yeah. a few paragraphs down and ha- has right. reached gratitude. Maybe he went out to Shangri-La and hadn't had that epiphany and then he came back and he was grateful. Well, okay. So I did assume he went back to Shangri-La and since it's Eden, you can't go back to Eden once mm-hmm. you've been exiled. Right. So he, he can't stay there. He has to come back. And I did think for a second that he could have gone off to kill himself. Then I realized the narrative would not support that. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I didn't expect that that was going to happen. Uh but I like the idea that he tried to return to Eden and he couldn't. So then he, he moves forward in whatever that looks like. Maybe mm-hmm. it means marrying a young lady off the list. A plump young handmaiden. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have basically no time left here. We're like over time. So well, next week, Heidi's going to have to give her theory about why I didn't connect to this book. Cause I'm feeling so left out. Well, let's go final thoughts. Heidi, can you say that in like 30 seconds or is this going to be much longer than that? No, I could say it in 30 seconds. I think, I mean, it's probably, it's 
probably not very profound. I just, I think that, um, there's, there's within the soul of Angelina Stanford, there is a very great ability and desire to, um, bring hidden things into the light. I think that the Angeline is very good at that in her own life and in others. And I think that in this book, the hit buried things stay buried and that even in their redemption, that lots of things are not said, they're not explored. They're not brought into the light to be resolved by words. And I think that that's unsatisfying to somebody like Angelina who has just that, well, when are we going to talk about it? When are we going to hear what Sally's thinking? When is Sid going to Sid going to say all the things? None of that ever happens. Is that true, Angelina? I think that's very good. I think that that explains why I felt a sense of frustration with the narrative. Mm -hmm. Because words are just, they are so much that's very core to you. Let's say what you're saying about bringing hidden things to light. Yeah. That I, I kept telling someone that I felt like I was wrestling with Stegner, that I wanted him to do something and he was fighting me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And I think that that's a beautiful thing about you. And I think that that's missing in this story, that there's the, even the redemption feels hidden, which to you feels unsatisfying, like it can't be real. Well, at least I didn't turn into an argument. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I love that what he he does in this book, I, I was really conscious of it this time in a way that I um, hear some water. Um, that uh, that I was conscious of in a way that I haven't been before is the way he is crafting, the way he writes about small actions. So and and like what they reveal. So in particular, I was I was I really noticed the scene, for example, where Mo is driving off with the. The, the jalopy or whatever that car was. And he, um, before he goes, um, Larry realizes, oh shoot. And he like grabs the flashlight as he's driving away. And the way that he drops in little moments like that, like it could have been, I walked up and I took the flashlight or Mo handed me the flashlight or, you know, he forgets it all together or something. But the way he creates that moment of, he remembers it and really quickly he grabs it and it's almost done in a passing way. But there's all these little moments where th- little actions, like the things with the glasses, he puts the glasses, he takes the glasses off and tries to clean them and puts them back on. They're not any cleaner. Little things like that that Stegner does, I think, are what sets him apart because he's able to express so much in you know one little clause, one little phrase, one little action. Um, you, know, you know, there's not there's that that's not throwaway stuff. That's that's real, meaningful, informative, right. um, incarnational stuff. Mm-hmm. So well, there's a lot thought. about that scene I liked. I, I loved the tension in that scene from Mo's legitimate fear of what is going to happen if half dead, almost dead Cherry. This is the kind of power she wields, right? She's in this extremely declined state and he's terrified of what is going to happen if she sees the car there because that will mean the plan didn't go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Graham, do you have any final thoughts? You can come back next week for the Q&A episode. No, that's fine. Uh, I, I, yes, I do. And I wasn't planning on saving this as a final thought, but maybe it's fitting. Um, it's with, uh, it's with, uh, Larry, um, Larry as narrator, uh, versus Larry, the character. Oh, I want to hear this. 
I think um, this is one of the reasons I love the, this novel so much, because um, I think it does something that's kind of meta uh, in a mm. lot of ways. Um, Larry, the character, do you guys talk about how there's dichotomy, like there's two SIDS? Yes. Oh, yes. I think, there's, I think there's two Larrys. I think Larry, the character, expresses a lot of... Um, I don't know if anger is the right word, but like exasperation um, and sometimes anger uh, with charity. But mm -hmm. then Larry, the narrator, is much more empathetic um, and kind of kind of gives us the insight into charity. Um, and I think, well, this is this is my hot take. Um, is I as I think the way that Larry crosses to safety is that he forgives charity maybe after the book. Mm -hmm. um, and that is what allows him to write this book is the forgiveness that he gives. Ah. Um, I, like yeah. that. I like that. That's good. And so the book crossing yeah. to safety. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Whatever, Larry. Yeah. <laughs> and so the book crossing to safety is is his crossing to safety. Um, and it's also the characters, you know, that they made it all the way to the end in this loving, forgiving way. Um, but I, I just love that, that there's... That there's the book like, is the artifact of... Artifact, yeah. Huh. The book itself is the incarnation of that. Yes, because he, he he could not write the book without that act of love and forgiveness. Do you think because he he's the producer. He's the producer and said as the consumer. Do you do you think that he writes the book after Sally's death? Oh. I never thought of that. That's a great question. Hmm. I'm I'm wondering how much of his transformation and his ability to forgive. Is, is the fact that his wife dies too. Mm. And there's, um, uh, Stegner talks about how he wrote this book um, because he had a charity in his life. Oh, so was this him trying to figure out how to love her and forgive her? And I think that fits very well. Well, because so, he also couldn't write that. It would be a completely different So that's different like book. meta, meta. That's like several layers of meta narrative happening. <laughs> that's very interesting. Yeah. Yes. I, I, and I, that's like, that's just a theory, but I, I think it holds. I, I think, love it. I think it holds weight. I think that. Well, I think we've been saying that Stegner was Larry. So that's very interesting. I think that you can, um, I think that the, the Robert Frost, the lines from the Frost poem at the beginning support huh. that. I could give all to time except except what I myself have held. But why declare the things forbidden that while the custom slept, I have crossed to safety with? For I am mm. there, and what I would not part with, I have kept. Even the line for I am there, I think supports the idea that he wrote it later, the idea that I'm there now. I've crossed to safety, I'm there now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what I would not part with, I have kept. How much does it read different on a second time? If I were to read it again, how much would it be different? I don't know. Try it out. <laughs> I guess that's hard to say. Uh, yeah, well, I think it would be different. There's a lot of stuff earlier on in the novel that gives a lot of clues to stuff later. 
little. I um, think that I have a greater appreciation for it now, having listened to to why you guys love it. I I do appreciate that. I don't think it's a bad book. Mm -hmm. If I thought it was a bad book, I'd just be like, whatevs. We probably in the Q and A episode we probably should talk about the frost poem at the beginning. Those lines because they're very complicated and fascinating in and of themselves. I think it'd be worth spending a few minutes on that. Maybe kicking off the Q and A episode, which brings me to that Q and A episode. If you have questions, leave them for us on Facebook or shoot me an email. My email is david at sociainstitute.com. Uh, the Facebook group has, um, you know, we'll, we'll start a thread and you can leave your questions there, and we'll get to as many as we can. Um, don't forget that we are starting in two weeks. We're going to start Graham Greene's The Power and the Glory. So if you haven't got your copy of that, go ahead and do so. You might as well start reading now. Um, I'll post a schedule for that on the Facebook group um, this week. And then we also are finishing up our discussion of King Lear. We just posted the final episode of, of well, the discussion of Act 5 on The Place, The Thing. And then next week, we'll do the Q&A episode for that. So if you are interested in reading along, uh, reading Shakespeare along with us, you can find that. You can subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. And Angelina will be joining us on the next one where we discuss uh, Much Ado About Nothing. So there's that'll be in two weeks as well. The first episode of that will, will happen. I guess that's it. Uh, thanks to New St. Andrews College for sponsoring. If you want to learn about their upcoming visits, uh, visiting weekends on October 26th and 27th, you can head over to nsa.edu slash visit for more information on those. Information on those. And with that, for Grant Pittman... And with that, for Grant Pittman... For Angelina Stanford, for Heidi White, I'm David Kern. Thanks so much for listening to Close Reads. We will talk to you next week and happy reading.